Hey there. Welcome back to Great Quarter, guys, live from the 3PL Summit here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the heart of Freight Alley. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, Senior Retail Analyst here at Freight Waves. I've got Seth Holm with me as well. Uh, we're not, we don't have a full show today. We've got a fantastic interview that we're going to have coming up here in a moment with Bruce Chan. He is a VP and Senior Analyst at Stiefel. Uh, who covers global logistics and future mobility. We're going to talk about where we are in the freight cycle, uh, especially when it, uh, when it happens to go with brokers. We're going to talk about what would be the perfect entry point uh, for where you want to get in and into a broker stock. Uh, before we get into that, I do have an apology to make. So last week on our episode, uh, Seth and I were debating um, what we thought about where consumer spending was going to go, whether there was going to be a reversion back to services. And I and Seth have been on the side that we will have this reversion back to services at some point, uh, but it seems to be not happening as fast as I had anticipated. And I had said that we shouldn't doubt, uh, we shouldn't have doubted Ravi Shanker with his call on uh, that consumer spending and good spending can stay strong through the year end, but it was not Ravi. It was actually Amit Marotra. So Amit's a fan of the show and he reached out to me and said it was actually he that made that call and it is his call and I apologize for yeah. that. So yeah, I didn't catch that, but so yeah, I did want to make that correction to, to, uh, to Amit. All right, let's, uh, let's get Bruce in here. Uh, I know he's on the line waiting for us from sunny Miami. Bruce, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. All right, Bruce. So let's talk about it, man. Let's talk about the cycle, uh, where we're at currently. And, uh, ideally, let's say you could build the perfect backdrop, uh, to enter a brokerage stock. What would that perfect backdrop look like? Well, that is really the question of the day, the question of the hour. Um, and, you know, I suppose we're, in terms of the freight backdrop, at least, you know, kind of taking valuation out of the picture, um, you know, we're, we're pretty close to being there. I mean, this is an environment where um, we're seeing really record capacity tightness, a record need for the fundamental value proposition that brokers offer, which is to you know, connect shippers who are in desperate and dire need of capacity with a very fragmented market of capacity providers out there. So this is it. Um, and I think on a secular basis, too. Uh, when you think about the changes that are happening in e-commerce that are happening in our supply chain right now, when you think about the technology advances that are coming into play, um, there's also a need for um, a, a consolidated intermediary to sort of, you know, help um, the fragmented capacity base, to help the fragmented shipper base to navigate all of these challenges. So um, I, I think we're pretty close to being at that perfect that perfect spot. All right, Bruce, uh, let's talk about the 2021, uh, you know, outlook for uh, revenue growth for brokers. So right now, uh, you know, we in a, we look at our sonar sonar data all the time. We've got very high uh, sort of absolute uh, load demand. We've got some comparison issues. So when you look, uh, you know, April and May will probably be pretty easy. But then, you know, we may hit tough comps in the back half. Um, then you've got the story with contract rates being repriced, uh, and then you've got spot rates, at least in our data series, uh, using Truck Stopper at an all-time high. What do you think the revenue outlook for the brokers is, uh, sort of as a group in 2021? Yeah, well, I think that's a, a great question. And I just want to back up a little bit because, um, you know, a lot of really interesting things to talk about. I mean, you guys asked about the freight cycle and where we are in that. And I think, you know, there's a, been a lot of confusion when I when I talk to investors. Uh, you know, there's a lot of debate about where we are and what point we are. And I think part of that is because a lot of the traditional indicators that we use to, you know, call it forecast where we are in the cycle, um, you know, maybe broken down a little bit. So when you think about, you know, truck orders, for example, Obviously, we've seen you know very nice truck orders, very high level of truck orders. But you know where are the deliveries, and when and how do those deliveries happen? Um, you know, you think about where are the drivers and the period of time that it usually takes for drivers to enter the marketplace. Now, obviously, we have driving schools that were shut down for a very long time. You still have you know COVID issues that are preventing um, you know new drivers from entering the market. You have things like the drug and alcohol clearinghouse um, that are also 
um, you know, um, presenting some headwinds to, to that as well. So, um, you know, a lot of challenges, um, you know, there. Uh, you also think about, as you mentioned, uh, convergence between spot rates and, and contract rates. And, you know, going back to what I said about just the incredible volatility and, you know, some of this, you know, called bullwhip effect or, um, you know, this exacerbation of, you know, some of these um, tightness impacts that we get. Um, you know, I, I think we've had a couple of head fakes in, in terms of, you know, when the cycle is ending and, and what might be indicating a, a cycle peak. So, you know, if you think back to November, we had some weird timing with the holiday season. Uh, we had a little bit of convergence between, you know, spot and contract. And, you know, I had a bunch of calls uh, with investors saying, well, this is it. You know, this is the end of the cycle. We're going to sell out of the truckload stocks. Um, you know, I think the same thing probably happened back, um, you know, earlier this quarter, you know, around the you know, late January, February timeframe. Um, but, you know, then we get an unseasonable Texas snowstorm. You talk about, you know, 1.9 billion of, of potential stimulus or, you know, I guess now, um, you know, more certain stimulus coming down the pipe. Um, you know, so these are all things that I think suggest that we're, you know, maybe a little bit earlier in the cycle than, you know, common wisdom or historical wisdom um, would, would dictate. Um, so, uh, you know, I, again, I, you know, I think the outlook is, is very good. Um, you know, when you look at revenue growth into the back half, um, you're absolutely right. There are some potential headwinds. And you guys, you know, made the apology earlier in the show or at the intro to the show. Um, and I think that point about the goods to services rotation is one that's, you know, been hotly debated. Uh, we put an outlook piece out uh, around late November, early December with our retail analysts that, um, you know, talked about just that, you know, about the savings rate. Uh, more than doubling uh, in, in the wake of you know a lot of these COVID shutdowns and the COVID impact, and you know that should leave a lot of buffer space um, to kind of absorb some of this services impact. Um, so I think that's you know much less of an issue than than again common wisdom would dictate. Um, I think it's also worth pointing out that you know a lot of the services that you know we're looking at you know coming back into the market, um, you know do require you know some goods to support them. Um, you know we're in produce season right now. You think about Restaurant reopenings, you know, obviously, um, you know, that's going to soak up a lot of uh, freight demand in terms of just, you know, produce and, and you know, fresh goods moving uh, to resupply restaurants. Um, so, you know, personally, um, I think, you know, we are coming against tougher comps in the back half. But when you think about where we are in the inventory replenishment cycle and the fact that we still have a long way to do just to catch up to par. And when you think about the, you know, additional demand spike, um, you know, that, that could be coming. Um, you know, the, the revenue uh, growth trajectory looks pretty good. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's what we saw. I, I was uh, refreshing on some of the broker calls, uh, you know, as we talked about offline, uh, revenue growth was pretty good for all the brokers. And it does seem like uh, a lot of analysts and investors out there sort of jumped the gun on calling the premature end of the, uh, to the truckload cycle because of those new class eight truck orders, as you talked about. Uh, and, and then now we've got snowstorm and stimulus and the other things you mentioned that are sort of firming up the market a lot again. Um, how about on um, how about on the margins for the brokers? So this can kind of be confusing, uh, maybe for even some of our listeners. But you know, brokers kind of tend to have countercyclical margins, and and right now, if you look in Q4 uh, margins, I think on a year-over-year basis, we're still down uh, pretty significantly for a lot of the brokers. But you did see that sequential improvement, and as as contract rates get repriced higher, more in line with spot. What's the outlook like for the margins? And then the last thing I would say on that is um, I know there's been some talk uh, just because spot rates are so high, you're seeing, um, you know, shippers delaying bids, you know, increasing uh, prevalence of many bids and that sort of thing. Is that having any effect on the outlook as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point. And I think a lot of people look at, you know, what's going on with the margins and, and see it as, um, you know, maybe a, a negative, um, you know, mark against the brokers. Um, it, it's typical of any cycle, um, you know, when capacity prices increase, you know, I think about freight capacity costs as, you know, cost of goods sold for a manufacturer. So when those costs of goods sold increase, there's a little bit of squeeze on the gross margins. But, you know, towards the middle to the end of the cycle, um, you know, those margins tend to expand again as cost of goods sold goes down. Uh, you know, again, I, I go back to the volatility that we've seen through this cycle and how quickly, you know, those costs of goods sold have, have moved. I mean, if you think about what the carriers were saying about the brokers back in, you know, 2Q of last year, you know, accusing the brokers of, you know, basically predatory pricing and, you know, running their business in the ground. You know, I bet you didn't hear too many of those carriers complaining, you know, into 3Q and 4Q. Um, so, you know, spot pricing has really whipped around and that's made it difficult, I think, for brokers to really keep pace and, and manage stability in those margins. Um, you know, meanwhile, you have shippers, especially the ones with leverage that, as you mentioned, are pushing out bids, um, you know, that in some cases is, um, you know, preventing the, the broker from adjusting, um, you know, their tactical book or adjusting their business to, to you know, um, respond to the market. Um, but I think, you know, like any other cycle, we will see that natural, um, you know, easing of the margin spread. I think, you know, you'll see brokers, you know, recoup that margin on the tail end of, of um, you know, the market. Meanwhile, you know, demand obviously is settling in at a very nice level. So you've got that, you know, volume benefit going as well. Um, and then I think there's also, um, you know, longer term, the, the structural issue of a greater need and a greater importance uh, of brokers in the supply chain. Bruce, it's funny you talk about the animosity between both sides, the love-hate relationship, depending on where we are in the cycle. I want to talk a little bit about technology for a moment, uh, because we, we, as Seth and I were listening through some of these calls, we heard many of the, the major brokerages talk about how they were increasing uh, productivity because they were, and they were using uh, data, data points like shipments per sales uh, or operational employee. They were up you know, low single digits or, or mid or low double digits in Q4. Is this really a function of just the bull market and more freight moving through the doors? Or is this truly uh, seeing an underlying secular improvement in trend for the group? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I had a thesis you know, on C.H. Robinson um, you know, about a, a year and a half ago uh, when they were you know, really starting to talk off a lot of their investments on the tech side. Um, you know, that a lot of the changes they're making on the technological front take some time to filter through the model. It's not just about, you know, building out or buying or installing the technology. There's a learning curve in, in terms of building up the processes, you know, training staff and actually, you know, deploying that through your network, um, you know, to allow leverage to increase in volume. So, you know, unless you're a broker that's willing to fire headcount in order to, you know, leverage that technology, you're really going to need that volume growth in order to you know, have the, the benefits of the, of the technology translate through to the bottom line. I think that's what we're starting to see now. I think, you know, you, you think about C.H. Robinson, you think about XPO, you think about Echo, you know, the big publicly traded brokers. And, um, you know, they're, they're really starting to, you know, fire on all cylinders in terms of deploying that technology. And at the end of the day, I think of technology as just a tool, you know, just like I can't go out and buy a very expensive set of golf clubs and suddenly be good at golf. Neither can a broker just buy or spend money on, you know, some very fancy tech and suddenly be an amazing broker. You know, again, there's that learning curve and that period of uh, implementation that has to happen. Bruce, uh, you know, you hear a lot of people toss around, you know, technology spend and they're spending hundreds of millions or billions. What are some examples of the actual improvements either on the, you know, dealing with shippers or on the carrier side or, or operationally? 
of the sort the sorts of improvements uh, that brokerages are seeing within their uh, operations? Yeah, I'm smiling because that's a really great question and one that I think increasingly investors have started asking companies. Um, you know, because um, early on, you know, it was popular for a lot of these companies just to say, "Hey, I'm spending you know five hundred million dollars a year, two hundred million dollars a year in tech." And you know, the question that you have to ask yourself is, "That's great, but you know, where is that money going?" Um, you know, and, and increasingly, I think there has been a call um, for management teams to, to answer a little bit more on that front. Um, you know. I think a lot of it is really hard to define. It's it's hard to um, you know connect um, exactly you know where dollars spent you know translates to in terms of dollars saved. Um, I think a lot of the investments tend to be on the operating side, right? So you know if you think about Echo, um, you know they talk about gamification of you know the, the brokerage process of the carrier rep and of the customer rep process. So. You know, just making sure that you have, you know, all your targets available on your screen, on your dashboard, um, you know, making sure that you can track your progress in real time, having all the information about, you know, your carriers or your customers in real time, um, you know, certainly helps in, in doing your job. Um, you know, when you think about the process of connecting the carrier through to the shipper, you know, as much of the request from the shipper as you can automate, as much of the, you know, request from the carriers you can automate is great. So. You know, thinking about a company like Parade and, and taking you know nat natural language interpretation and automation from emails, and you know putting that in a format that's more easily digestible by you know the carrier rep and by the uh, shipper rep, I think is very important. Um, you know, so digitizing the process of, of load matching obviously is important, um, but there are really many many things that you know these companies can do that goes beyond you know user interface that goes beyond just the digital load board. Bruce, I heard uh, Max Fuller the other day speak about how he thought we were on a, a cusp of concentration and consolidation in the carrier space, uh, especially when it comes to autonomous trucking coming into the market being something that owner operators might not be uh, able to purchase. And we, he sees uh, carriers getting smaller. My, my question is, does autonomy lead to market share concentration for carriers, therefore kind of creating headwinds for brokerages? As you said earlier uh, in your first response, that this market, the volatility has proven that that brokers are, they place a very important role uh, in, in getting to this very fragmented market. If that market is no longer as fragmented, uh, what's the impact to brokers? Yeah, so absolutely. But I think there's a lot of nuance here that we have to flesh out. If we think about the truckload market you know, today, the limiting factor, the limiting resource ultimately is the driver. Um, so you know, the market is going to be as fragmented as the driver pool is fragmented. As you start to think about autonomous trucking, the constraint becomes less about the individual driver and more about capital, which will enable um, companies theoretically to pool resources to buy massive fleets, not really have to worry about, you know, the driver as a constraint to growing or shrinking, um, you know, the, the pool. Um, that said, I think we're a very, very long way away from automated over-the-road truckload. Certainly, automation is coming very fast in this industry. I think we're going to see it first, you know, in local delivery operations. We're going to see it first in, you know, fleet operations. Um, but when you think about a regular route truckload, the core of the trucking market, um, you know, you have to surmount not just the technology piece of it, uh, which is probably going to come faster than the regulatory piece of it, which I think is still uh, quite a long way away. So, you know, this is probably on the scale of, you know, a decade to two decades um, away in terms of a problem that we really have to worry about. I know you said it seems like you think it's a pretty far off thing in the future, but um, and I know um, another one of your colleagues probably covers the rails at Stiffel. But what do you think are the long term implications 
of autonomous trucks for uh, for truckload in general. Do you think truckload is a market share gainer from the rails in particular, particularly now that you have all these uh, electric trucks and hydrogen trucks coming on the road, uh, removing some of that environmental uh, friction to trucks, as well as uh, you know you, you've now got trucks uh, under autonomy that can travel from you know say LA to New York in 36 hours or whatever it is with no hours of service. How do you think? What do you think are the long-term implications for uh, various modes market shares from autonomy? Yeah, you know it's a great question. Um, you know net net, it's probably a long-term threat. Uh, when I think about you know, the, the reasons why you use truckload versus the reasons why you use rail, you know, one of the big ones is cost. So if you can remove a lot of the costs from the trucking equation um, in TCO and things like maintenance and things like fuel and especially driver, then you're going to offer that higher service, you know, that point to point service and hopefully offset or allay, um, you know, some of that traditional cost differential between a mode like rail. Because at the end of the day, you know, when you use rail, you've still got to have a trucking component on either side. You know, the rail doesn't run from the, um, you know, distribution center or from the port straight to, um, you know, your warehouse, straight to the store. Hey, Bruce, we've got about 90 seconds here. So I want to get one last question for you. Uh, Seth and I were talking about how it seems to be the best pocket of growth in brokerage right now is in, you know, either the, D- the DFM, the digital freight matching space, or in some of that mid-sized private players. They're all, there's some doing some very cool things like Arrive. Uh, it, but it seems like the, the the sweet spot there is between the hundred million to the one to two billion dollar range. Is that the best spot to be in? Um, you know, I, I think when you're in that spot, you're not running up against the wall of large numbers as somebody like C.H. Robinson obviously does. So I think you know you're growing off a smaller base. Uh, naturally, you're going to have a faster growth rate. Uh, it's interesting because you talk about you know DFM or DFB, and I don't hear that term as much. There's not as much differentiation in my mind between those players and the incumbent players anymore. Um, because you know what's happened is the operating models of both you know types of companies have somewhat converged. You've got the legacy players, you know, with a lot more technology. You've got the DFM, DFB guys that you know are really um, building out and, and fortifying you know their um, operational um, you know capabilities. So um, you know, I would say in general, you know, that mid market is is, is high growth. Um, but right now, you know, I would argue that capacity is king. So. You know, um, if you're a, a very large freight broker, you have more access to capacity, you have more carrier re- relationships, you're, you might be in a better spot um, than, you know, some of the mid-tier or small-tier uh, brokers that, that, you know, don't have that same capacity access. All right, Bruce, I got to let you go, but thank you so much for your time joining us here on the 3PL Summit. Uh, again, thanks for your time. Thanks, Bruce. All right. Thanks, Jess. Have a good one. All right. Yeah, I like um, I like the idea that I like a lot of what he was saying. So, um Sorry, I'm losing my train of thought, but go ahead, <laughs> getting people talking. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, I think Bruce has a great view. He obviously knows, you know, the brokerage space inside and out. It seems like he thinks like a lot of the autonomy and things like that are far down the road. Um, and it seems like, you know, brokers, uh, according to Bruce, brokers are in a really good spot. And that's kind of you and I's viewpoint as well, which is, you know, they, they've got that great load demand and now uh, the margins should expand over the next few quarters. So. Right, he's got a positive outlook for the market. Uh, that's been all we have today for Great Quarter, guys. We will be back next Tuesday. We're actually got a special guest, Rick Helfenbein, who used to be with the American Apparel and Footwear Association. We're going to be talking about port congestion and inventory levels in the apparel sector. Join us next Tuesday, 3 o'clock.